All right, so let's get going here. We are continuing today with our eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. We have been in element five now for about 15 weeks. In fact, there, there was one mistake already, Roman numeral three, three, three there, where it says last 13 weeks, should say last 14 weeks. And as we're going through these five elements, element five is Jesus Christ, the only mediator, the only bridge, the only solution, because elements zero through four show us the tremendous impossibility of man having a relationship with God, man being forgiven his sins, man being made godly or righteous, man entering into any of the purposes for which we were created, uh, having any meaning or purpose in our life apart from Christ. And so uh, what we did uh, so far on this introduction to who Jesus Christ is, when we talk about Christology, we're just talking about the, a branch of theology that studies Jesus Christ. Who is he? Uh, the second member of the Trinity. And we, uh, in, in 5A through H, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, the first eight weeks, we looked at what you might call uh, traditional in terms of at least post-Reformation, especially uh, post-modern Christianity, the modern evangelicalism, and so forth. Uh, the way Christology is studied you would study the things that we studied in the first eight weeks. After that, uh, since 5I through today's message of O, uh, I, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, D, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, so seven weeks so far, we've been looking at the ministry of Jesus. This is like Francis Chan's book about the Holy Spirit, the forgotten member of the Trinity. Uh, this is like the forgotten aspect of Christology. Nobody talks about this part of Christology, and we've spent half the time on it. Because this is what it means to be a Christian, is to, to be saved, to be enter into the ministry of Jesus Christ. To have Jesus Christ minister to you in such a way that he makes your life whole progressively over time so that you join in a community-wide effort to rescue the world. You're, you will never know any sense of fulfillment, purpose, uh, destiny. You'll never be anything but a frustrated, trivial, bored person until you begin to enter that for which God made you in the first place to become like Jesus Christ and to enter into not only the proclamation and the demonstration of his kingdom, but the building of his kingdom on earth. The more you enter into that purpose, the more your life has meaning, purpose, and value. And in fact, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. We've talked a lot about that over the last few years. God actually will put leanness in your life. God will allow you to have a lot of problems so that he can help you. That's his gift to you to help you see that you need the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are people who've come to see the absolute bankruptcy of the human condition. And you've begun to see it in yourself. It's much easier, you start as an adolescent, to see it in other people, and in governments, and in society, and, and in schools, and so forth. But when you begin to see the utter depravity, the utter wreck that your life is, 
then the rays of hope have started to come into your life because Christ is the answer. And that's why this whole kind of modern Christianity where people who grow, have grown up in the church and have been Christians a long time, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. Anyone who kind of thinks that in their heart has not gotten a clue yet. I'm a terrible Christian. I'm a lousy pastor. But thank God that I'm not in Greg Weiss. I'm in the, through the waters of baptism. I've entered into the resurrected life of Christ. Because I'm more pathetic than Michigan State was against Alabama. Um, in and of myself, there's nothing good that dwells in me, Paul said. The Apostle Paul said, there's nothing good that dwells in me. So um, what we've been looking at in weeks 5i through N, and now O, is the ministry of Jesus. And this is the neglected aspect in systematic theology, as we said. So we've looked at the magnitude of his ministry, uh, about halfway down the page there. We've looked at how he is the model or pattern for everything in life. Young ladies, you want to you wanna know what a, a good man should look like? Hold out for a man that looks a lot like Jesus in his character and purpose and intentions and what he's doing. Uh, in the way he made disciples, he didn't make disciples in just the modern way through parachurch groups, informational discipleship, but he imparted his life to them and he formed them and he transformed them. Uh, we looked at how he's building his community, his covenantal church family. We looked at the fact that his ministry is always miraculous. Without miraculous manifestations, you have no Christianity. You have the religion of the Pharisees, cessationism. Now, um, his, his salvation is not a sinner's prayer exchange, it's real, tangible things. It's, I had a problem with, you fill in the blank, lust, fears, inner hurts, selfish ambition, being too critical of others, not being able to see myself rightly, what procrastination, uh, you name it, uh, he came to deliver you and set you free and make you who you were always intended to be. Beyond what man was at the fall into the new humanity that Jesus was the, the elder statesman of, the big brother, the high priest, the apostle of our confession. Jesus is the pattern. And he came to uh, And if, if you don't have miraculous encounters where you can say, I was blind and now I see, and where you really get a, got a, a pretty good grip on how blind blind was, not this, I, yeah, I kind of needed a little churching up. I needed a few self-help books from the Christian bookstore. When you really begin to see, wow, I was self-righteous and therefore critical and harsh, or, or I was completely living a life uh, of no purpose. I went to church on Sunday more or less to avoid God, to do my little bit of God thing so that I wouldn't have to get totally into God. When you begin to see the depth of your depravity, 
and and you get and you see the conscience when he sets you free in miraculous ways so you can say man i used to be that and by the grace of god by his power as i walk by the power of his holy spirit in his resurrected life i'm a completely different person i was thinking uh spent a lot of time yesterday with uh four or five brothers one of them josiah sam different different people and I, I was thinking back to like, because, you know, I used to be 17 and, you know, Josiah's 20. And I was thinking back to how I was when I first came to Christ and things. And I, and I was like, I, I can't even believe some of the things that I was anymore. I was, if anyone, uh, any wrestlers here, were there any wrestlers in high school in our group? There was a term called a fish. What, and a fish was a person who's so bad that they just flop all over the mat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a, a fish is a person that has no self-confidence. And that's who I was. I didn't have any opinion except what the opinion of the most popular people were. I didn't have any convictions. And I had the greatest gift of God to all. I started on this and I sidetracked myself. And when I went to this whole blessed of the poor spirit, I had boredom. God, I can remember what boredom was like. When I was a teenager, I'd say, I, I, I got to do something. And then I'd go, I'll go shoot some hoops. And then deep down, it's like, no, no, that's not it. I'd go hit the ball in the backyard. No, that's not it. So I got into more adventurous ways to try to kill my boredom, you know. Egg wars all over the city from cars and driving around smoking pot. And you know, just whatever adventurous, crazy, nutty Wicked, evil, irresponsible thing teenagers do. And that uh, makes their mother cry when she hears about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but you know what? It did, I was still bored. Boredom is God's gift to you to say you haven't really begun to enter into the call of God on your life yet. When you start to touch the Lord, you will never again be bored, ever. You'll never have time for it. You'd have to schedule it in years in advance. You know, it's like sometimes when people want an appointment or whatever. It's like, let me, I got an opening three weeks from now on a Tuesday afternoon. I could be bored in July, maybe. Like, your life is consumed with a passion and a purpose when you've met the real Christ. So this is what we're looking at these last few weeks. We've zeroed in on some particular aspects of Christ's ministry, that it's miraculous, that it continues. That was the whole point of his last sermon. Jesus did this so we could understand. Whenever the Bible repeats things two or three times, it's to say, hey, McFly, wake up. <laughs> it's to get your attention. So at the Last Supper in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus talks for four chapters about how his ministry is going to continue. The last thing he says in Matthew, Go therefore into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I skipped baptizing in the name of the Father, so you know the passage. Teach, go and disciple whole nations. Don't just baptize them, but teach them the whole thing of the kingdom. 
everything that I taught you for three and a half years, pump it into them. And I'm going to be with you in the process. And if he's with you, Hebrews 13, 8, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means casting out demons, healing the sick, prophesying, uh, opening scripture up, and having a life of total, uh, if I were to say, Tim Kelly, what you been doing lately? He says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? I've been just consumed with this passion for God all day long, reading the word and seeking God and praying and interceding and studying the intercessory patterns of Moses and Nehemiah so I could intercede more powerfully. You know, like, what do you think I'm doing? (laughs) I'm about my father's business. Now, don't be smart, Alex. (laughs) But that's what the answer should be. So Jesus his last commands, uh, Matthew's version of it, I just gave you, Mark, Mark 16, 15 through 20, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation, baptizing them, whoever has believed and been baptized, and, and, uh, and these signs will follow those who believe. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll cast out demons, etc. They'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is what Jesus said. He didn't say, and this will happen for 30 or 40 years, and then I'm going to go just sit in heaven and play ping pong with the Father for a while. And I'm going to withdraw the Holy Spirit, and he's going to stop doing the things he did in me. His whole point in John's gospel, his whole point in John's gospel is for four chapters that I'm going to not leave you. I'm going to come to you. I'm not going to leave you as horns. In my father's family, there are many dwelling places. That has nothing to do with heaven. Don't share that with people to get them saved. It has to do with when you come to know Christ, you'll be placed into a family and community of believers on a mission, and it'll consume your life with passion for God, and you'll have plenty of places to fit in. And I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to do that. That's why there's more about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16 than anywhere else. Because just as the the Bible describes God as putting the Holy Spirit on Jesus without measure, so he is putting the Holy Spirit on the church without measure. The limitation is your faith, my faith. We need a corporate journey out of the cessationism of modern times, out of the unbelief of the modern empirical uh, brainwashing. We need real salvation, in power. And it's such an important issue that Paul tells, in 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy that there will be men that hold the forms of godliness but deny the power to avoid such people as those. Don't hang out with them. Don't talk to them. Unless you're there to convert them on a mission from God. And make sure he sent you and you're ready and equipped to be sent. That's why I'm considering going to Cedarville University. I'm not going there to learn. I'm going there to set some people free. And I've already recruited some teammates because Jesus always was making disciples in the community. That's why, you know, I got Edwin and Beth and John and Emily involved already, and I'm talking to others about studying and getting prepared to, to, to move in power. To pe- because you know what? There's lots of good Christians sitting in churches out there that have been denied this stuff. And they know nothing about God, 
And some of them really love God and want to follow him. And they're trapped in false beliefs and false systems of thinking that are filled with unbelief and legalism and performance-based Christianity and antinomianism and low expectations of eschatology and things that will destroy the church and have destroyed their lives. That's why most Christians aren't even touching one one-hundredth of the abundant life Christ meant to give you. And I want, I'm jealous for you to have it all. You know, people tell me they have problems with pornography or this or that or whatever. Like, I want you to be so in love with God that you don't have time for such things. Like, it's a lot of, it wouldn't be on your radar to be bashful or, or, or lazy about the things of God or whatever because, you're consum- because you really believe he came to change the world. And there's a lot of hurting people that need the real thing. And there's no one coming but you and I and us together. We're hit. That's what he's saying in John 14, 15, and 16. I'm going to send you. And after the resurrection, John 20, as the Father sent me, so I sent you in the same exact pattern. That's what Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke's version, Luke 24, we're going to get to hopefully at the end of the message today, if I could quit preaching and get to the outline. Uh, this is just a warm-up. The uh, so <clears throat> I, I I I need us to see what, what we're, I've been talking about for this is now the fourth week since we we talked one week about the that he came to save us from real enemies. If you don't have testimonies of I had demons now I don't have demons. I was addicted to this but now I'm not addicted to this. I had this problem I don't have this problem anymore. I don't even I don't even know that I can relate to the person who used to live here. That's what the baptism waters mean. That's why there's no condemnation if the devil comes around and says, "Well, Greg used to do." You know, Greg doesn't live here anymore. He was buried in a pond two thousand years ago at the cross, and more recently in 1975 in Mansfield. I, I want us to get this. And so then Jesus, we looked at uh, in 5L, we looked at how the gospel is so much more than forgiveness uh, and reconciliation in this personal justification. It's all of that. And it's so much more. It's deliverance, healing, adoption. You belong now. Most people in this room did not have that great of families, and now you belong to the family of families. And you're a covenant member of the of the most awesome force that's ever been unleashed on this planet. The juggernaut that will roll over the nations until it's conquered and swallowed all kingdoms. That's the faith I want you to get pregnant with. We, we're pretty good at getting pregnant around here or anything. But uh, <laughs> so um, just make sure you're married first. But uh, I, 
If you if you're not, we'll still love you. Uh, so now we looked at this whole uh, cessationism. So and then we looked at how the ministry of Jesus continues. Then last week we kind of looked at what I've been warming up with till now, that the ministry continues through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And wherever the Holy Spirit is, he'll look like he always did. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if we really have the Holy Spirit, let's. people always say, I got it all when I was converted. I say, if you got it all, let me see it all. Whatever, wherever the Holy Spirit is, it'll look like in Acts 10.38 when Peter is preaching to Cornelius and the Gentiles, he sums up the ministry of Jesus in one line by saying, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, a man anointed by the Spirit of God who went about doing good in healing all those who are oppressed by the devil. Is that what you did this week? That's what I'm calling you to because he's calling you to it. That's your density. George McFly. That's your purpose. That's why he put you on this planet. And until you start to become that, you're going to experience boredom, financial frustration, relational frustration, and all other gifts of God to try to tell you you're not on the right path. You won't be able to get set free from addictions. You'll waste all kind of time on Facebook and video games and all kind of irrelevant, stupid stuff because you're not filled with the power of the kingdom. And you're not saying, I am supposed to be in a community of people that are filled with Christ and his spirit and his power, and we've come to liberate planet Earth. And we're going to do it first in Dayton, then the Judeas around Dayton, then the other cities, then the uttermost parts of the earth, like every church is called to do. And we're going to first rediscover the whole pattern of all of it. The reason we do creeds and all that we do is because it's all in the Bible. And it's all stuff that needs to be the whole pattern of discipleship and, and every man a minister and, and you know the church calendar and the creeds and the scripture readings and casting out demons and, and praying for people to get baptized in the Spirit and learning how to be a, dis, uh, a discipler and serving and in uh, all sorts of ways, all of the, the whole thing God wants to put together so we can say, come live like we live. We'll take you to our leader. Like Paul said, the things you've learned and seen and observed in me, this needs to be what Grace Christian Fellowship can say. If you do these things, the God of peace will dwell in you. I want you to think about your week this week. Can you say to someone, if you do what I did this week, the God of power and peace will dwell with you? If not, that's why we're here, to repent and be recommissioned. That's what the communion meal means. Don't take it until you're going to repent and do the deeds of the kingdom. That's what we discussed the last couple of weeks. Flip over and we're going to get into this week. I wish I had about three hours to preach this one. I once preached this exact message for six hours and 20 minutes. 
<laughs> to a group group of 70 leaders so who, who knew it was going to be a long one. We took a break in the middle for about 10 minutes. God's building a city. He's building a kingdom. And it's not going to be after the second coming. It's what brings about the second coming. And that's Luke's version, which we didn't get into that much. Let's, in fact, I think it's in here somewhere. I, do I have it in here or do I just have it referenced? Looks like I just have it le- referenced. But Luke's version, uh, in Luke 24, twice, he appears first to the, uh, these, these are both on Easter Sunday later in the day. The very first, so the, all the stuff we talked about in John uh, 14, 15, 16 is the Last Supper. That's his last sermon before his crucifixion. Luke 24 is his first sermons after his resurrection. Then we're going to, and then, and that's the first Luke 24. And then the Luke, later in Luke 24, his last sermon before his ascension. So what he did for 40 days was he, as Acts 1 tells us, for 40 days he spoke about the things concerning the kingdom of God, what we're talking about today. And he said, wait, don't even go out and start ministering until you're filled with power. The reason we want to get you through the five steps of born, really born again to the true gospel Water baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit, delivered from demons with inner healing and all that. And living as a community part of life is because he told you, wait. Till you got all that, then go. And disciple nations with it as teams. Now, ignorance of the law is no excuse, but here's what we're at today. I don't know what percentage, but it's well high in the 90s percentage of the church is living in disobedience to what Jesus said to do. Wait in in Acts 1 and Luke 24, he says, wait in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high. Does Does your life look like you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? He doesn't want you just to have one great encounter. I'm one of the coolest uh, baptisms in the spirit in our church for me uh, that I enjoyed well there's so many good ones like baths and but Terry Pellegrino he's you know after he was totally drunk in the Holy Spirit he goes this is the first time I've ever experienced peace in my whole life remember that Terry and I was like crying because apart from, the, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no peace. You can have an absence of conflict. You can learn to cope. You can have all kinds of ways of avoiding God and coping and everything else. But you won't know peace until you know the Prince of Peace. And when you get the power, you'll have the peace that passes understanding. And God wants you not to just experience that once, but he wants you to live there all the time and to go and start doing the deeds. After he, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, he went through a period of testing, and then he came out in the power of the Spirit and began to make disciples and proclaim the kingdom and announce who he was and cast out demons and heal the sick, and that's your destiny. And that's what we've come to do at Grace Christian Fellowship because there's because that's what a church is supposed to do. 
I'm not sure if a church is, it's kind of like, yes, uh, if, if a child is born into a family with, when the family's really dysfunctional and the, the, the child is born with a lot of birth defects and so forth, we, that child still belongs to the family, still love the family and so forth. But God in his grace wants to give us so much more. And most of the church is living this like wrinkled up raisin of a fruit and, and I got a dampness of life falling out of me. God wants, to, God wants you to, to be able to say, well, look at the Apostle Paul. That's a lot like how I, I live. All right, let's get into this kingdom idea in the city. I might have to do another week on this. I don't care. <laughs> I might do a 60-part sermon just on this part of it. This is Christology. This is what Jesus came to do. Let's look at some things. Jesus brings the kingdom, and it's simply it is the gospel. God in heaven created, created Adam and Eve and put them in a garden, and that garden was intended to become a city, and out of that garden they were to send out through the four rivers and cultivate the whole earth with God's presence. God doesn't, we can't go through all biblical history, but God's purpose never changes. That's his eternal decree. He wants to build churches into cities that export the kingdom. The full kingdom, not mass quantities of people, the real thing. Hopefully to eventually mass quantities of people. So, and, and he does it through the agencies, through Christ, and in, in who Christ is, Christ is grace. All grace and truth are realized in Jesus Christ. That's Christology, right? And Jesus does it through his word and his spirit and his restored church interacting and inextricably intertwined, interacting together. So let's look at some things that it says about the kingdom because this whole negativity that it's going to get darker and darker, and the NEM, it's a twister, and the Antichrist is going to beat us up, and all this crap that's in the church today. And it's just deception. It's just Satan laughing with delight because the people of God don't possess their possessions. That's one of the great prophecies of the end time, that the, that the, the people of God will again possess their possessions. That's what I want for you. Look, Acts 3, 19 through 21, he says, Therefore, repent. This is how he ends the sermon after the, you know, the guy was walking and leaping and praising the Lord, the beggar, and they're going to the temple at the hour of prayer, and, and they say, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Do you have that to give? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And he then gives this whole sermon, and he ends it by saying, Therefore, as a result of all this demonstration of the kingdom and power in my sermon, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. So forgiveness is part of it. In order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's a much bigger part of it. That he may send Jesus to Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Just like Jesus said twice in Luke 24, didn't you know that everything the prophets said about me had to be fulfilled? I'm going to restore all things. What he means is everything that was damaged by the fall of man, including the ongoing purposes of God to fill the earth with his manifest glory and his kingdom and his power 
and his holiness and his righteousness to make the earth the sanctuary of God. That's what brings the Lord back. And that's why Satan loves this message of escapism that has overtaken the church since the 1800s. And he's going to turn it around. I, I'm not going to be the only one preaching this. I'm not already the only one preaching it. Thank God. And there will be more and more. And, and they'll combine it with power. Heaven must retain Jesus until this period of restoration of all things. And that period of restoration of all things started at Pentecost and continues through today. That's what we're talking about. It's called continuationism. And it will keep working like leaven working through bread until it fills all the loaves of the nations. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, good Advent verse since we uh, just finished Advent and we're in the 12 days of Christmas. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and he'll have sinner's prayers. Oh, wait, the government... The kingdom will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. You know why I like you to read books about the attributes of God? So your worship will be better because worship is when you come into God's presence and you, you feel him, you sense him, you experience him, you know him, and you need vocabulary to say more than just, Wow. When I was a hippie, I said, wow, man. And then I didn't have much vocabulary. When I, the first few times I worshiped, all I could get out was, wow, God. <laughs> and now I can say, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, everlasting father, <laughs> etc. And there will be no end to the increase of Christian bookstores selling Books about his retreating. Oh, sorry, modern translation. There will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. And despite the church passing the wrong message, they you can't stop it. You can do a lot of things to mess up a pregnancy in the womb. You can, you know, there's crack babies and everything else, but that baby's got DNA and and that baby's growing. Now, thank God for people who take prenatal vitamins and eat, give up white flour and white sugar and develop, you know, a good atmosphere for the baby. But no matter what, you, you can have the wrong message in the wrong kinds of churches, but the baby's still growing. In the, with the wrong message, the church is exploding throughout the world. But when it gets the right message, then you're going to see some serious Dr. Emmett Brown, 88 miles an hour. That's I'm out to convert the to convert the church to Christ. I hope you'll join me in that. I I decided it's the only thing worth giving my life to. On the third, you know, I've I've talked to people who've been in our church three years and have never even read our eschatology books. Don't do that. If you've been here, you don't know the heartbeat of Grace Christian Fellowship if you haven't read Eschatology of Victory and Paradise Restored and in those kind of books. Might be an explanation for why you sometimes lack discipline or zeal or whatever. 
Because when you get the right vision, you'll never lack discipline or zeal. You might lack a good night's sleep sometimes. On the throne of David, there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Wouldn't you like to see more justice in the earth and more righteousness? Do you ever think about social injustice? There's no solution for social injustice except the church getting its act together. We are supposed to be the social welfare systems of the world. Because the government really makes it worse. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. It will. He will. Zeal for his house consumed him. And there's no stopping it. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until, until I sell enough books about why Satan's alive and well on planet Earth and why it's the end times and darkness. No. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Until political systems and economic systems and, and human trafficking is, is no more. Because the earth is filled with churches that are filled with the, the real thing. Till poverty is no more. God intends to do all of that. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, the Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter, which has to do with his authority from Zion, which is the mountain of the people of God. Listen to my message called Matthew and Mountains. Matthew, Mountains and Matthews, I mean, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. See, God doesn't take us. What the church wants to do is this escape, like, rapture me out of here because I can't take the enemies. God wants to teach you to rule in the midst of his enemies. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The church was ruling and reigning when they were killing thousands of Christians from 64 AD till 313 AD for that 248 years or whatever the math works out to be. They were reigning in life by, by maintaining their witness for Jesus. And the more they killed them, the more the church grew and grew and grew. And the reason the persecution stopped is because Constantine said, we're killing all the best people. We need these people because our social welfare systems are collapsing and these people go in and save people. The Christians in the second century, there was a big plague. It was so, it was so massive, it was, it was so dangerous that as soon as someone got sick, their entire family would just leave them to die because they were afraid to get the plague. And the Christians would go into their house and nurse them to health or help them die with comfort or dignity if they did die. It was illegal. They, the, the Romans would do what the Chinese do, like they, you know, this whole thing of you, the, uh, these cultures that you can only have one or two children. There's several nations like that now, and then uh, and so they, if they don't get a boy because they want a boy, they abort the girls as soon as they do an ultrasound and know it's a girl. Well, the, the Romans, anytime a child was like a girl and they they already had enough girls and they want, they would just put them out in the in the uh, city dump. And it was against the law. 
to do anything about it. And the Christians would go out and risk being arrested every night and rescue the babies and take them home and raise them as their own children. Sound like the Women's Crisis Pregnancy Center to me. It's been going on since the church was born. It's still going on. It will go on. Get, get it mature enough that you could do that. Quit screwing around and farting around with stupid things. Become Christ-like. Psalm 110 is the most often quoted psalm in the entire Bible. It's, those three lines are quoted in full eight times in the New Testament, more than any other psalm, as if God's saying, pay attention to those verses. And it's alluded to a dozen other times. Matthew 13, the parable of the mustard seed. It starts as the smallest of seed. Do you think the major political news medias were, you know, there's this rabbi healing all these people and casting out demons, and he's got a band of like 120 followers in Palestine. You think that made the 6 o'clock news with whoever they got nowadays? Uh, Lester Holt or somebody? Believe me, the most important thing that's happening in Dayton, Ohio, is Grace Christian Fellowship. If you don't see that, you're, you're still blind. And that's probably why you don't study enough, and that's probably why you're not radical enough, because you don't, you got to see that. God came to set you free so that you can become a liberator. And you can only set people free if you get set free. You can only take people as far as you go. If all you know is cutesy little Jesus lines on Facebook, that's all you got to give. But if you become a radical disciple, you can change whole lives. You can become something much more important than a doctor. People think, you know, like, well, yeah, a doctor has to go 12 years of school after high school. You're called to something much more important. And if you see that, no one will ever have to tell you to read your Bible again and to quit wasting time on Facebook or what all, all sorts of other stupid things. Or why you can't afford to hold on to unforgiveness toward somebody or anything else that might upset that mission. Is it, do we get this? I, I, I don't know how to preach it any harder and I'm out of time. And I might go come back to it next week. Micah, Numbers, Habakkuk, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. This is what the Bible is all about, brothers and sisters. This is what you were called to. You weren't called to have a little bit more joy in your life and a little bit more peace. And boy, we have some pretty good worship. So you should try the Friday night worship. It's really cool too. <laughs> He's called you to be a destiny bender. One hour of your time should be the most important thing that's ever happened to a person. And you can, you can become that the, through the tools of God's grace, the word, the spirit, and the discipleship of the church. And by getting sanctified to a bigger picture and caring about something a lot bigger than your own self.